classically, there's been this blurry line between what is machine learning and what is AI. Artificial intelligence, I don't consider AI until it's general. It can generally solve any problem on its own without needing to be trained specifically on any one thing, right? And we're definitely approaching that with these new large language models. I wouldn't say we're at the you know, AI as I imagined it, where robots are walking around talking to us or anything, not killing us. We don't do that. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's why we make sure we, we train them well first. But, you know, it, there has been machine learning that's been going on, which is, you know, stuff like regressions and figuring out possible values for what is that thing going to cost next year? Or what is the trend on this or that? And then coming up with good conclusions on things. You know, we've been doing that in classifiers for quite a while now. So, I think we're getting closer to the um, AGI space, but artificial intelligence and machine learning as a whole has been continuing kind of in the background of most of your Google searches and most of the more advanced tools you have used, you know, over the past 20 years. Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today, we have a guest whose journey began at the age of 12, when he started coding and modifying games to win. He has since worked on various software projects, including solutions for small businesses, data work at a billion-dollar company, and ventures into computer simulation and med tech. He's very well-versed. However, his most significant contributions came during his time at OneRail. Joining as the CTO, he played a pivotal role in multiple funding rounds and later became the Executive Vice President of Data Science and AI. OneRail, under his guidance, simplified complex logistics challenges by centralizing carrier data and removing inefficiencies, which we're going to find all out about today. What truly sets him apart is his dedication to innovation and disruption, which we love, with a mission to make things easier for people. So let's explore the insights and achievements of this industry leader who's reshaping the world of logistics and AI. Welcome, David Dashler. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yay! I'm glad we're here too. Because, you know, David, shipping and logistics never got the lion's share of attention until COVID. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, we started before that and we were kind of like building our uh, base uh, software and trying to get things up and running. And then um, COVID hit and it was it was crazy. We knew that uh, how important the service had been, right? Like you don't realize how important things are until you really, really need them. And people that were moving um, stuff around were then considered uh, essential workers. And so uh, we were doing our best to make sure that the platform was working and and trying to build as fast as we could, honestly, so people could take better advantage of um, what we had to offer to sort of like move things quickly, safely on time. And, and so, yeah, really lots of changes. And, and now everybody kind of expects that 
uh, level of quickness and and reliability to continue. Like you know, many still doing uh, at home grocery delivery, and and you know, obviously with um, services like Prime, expecting stuff to now be there same day. And so it became really clear that the old world was not going to work anymore. You know, we, we proved that we could do it. Like you could get anything you wanted the same day and very quickly. So uh, that's that's where we came in. <laughs> that's awesome. It's so true, isn't it? Well, before we dive into this, right, because we're going to get into the status quo of shipping and logistics and, you know, now the spotlight's on it and so forth, but really the good, the bad, the ugly of the status quo. But before we get into that, tell our audience, they always want to know, disruptive innovators, what is your fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation? I think it's uh, it's got to be, if I were to say anything, really understanding the problem and getting to the root of it and talking to the people that are facing it. Um, you can't build world-class products looking down from some tower and and just seeing everybody as as pieces in a puzzle. It really has to be. Let's take a look at the problems on the ground level, and that goes all the way to the you know when we were doing um, initial research for the platform, it went all the way to the warehouse level. Like, what are the people in the warehouses having to deal with to sort of like get the stuff even onto the loading docks, and how does uh, the workflow there and the way that we might suggest doing things, how could that change the way that they work? And so, you know, from the ground floor all the way through. Uh, package is actually moving, uh, there's a whole lot of uh, learning to be done. And so I took just many, many pages of notes on site and really got to get the voice of customer. And then technology is not an end, it's it's a lever, right? It's like, mm. could we do all this stuff manually? Yeah, it would just be really hard. It'd be very time consuming. And so thinking of technology as a, a lever rather than the solution to every problem is sort of like, it gets you in a better place. Um, you know, and, and so it's kind of what we did. And so we saw lots of processes that just weren't effective for people and and figured out how to solve each of those. And on the way, we kind of came up with a really comprehensive product suite and uh, because we understood those problems. So it's really it's really about getting to the bottom of of why are things not working right and how do you help people do them better? Yeah, and I love the fact that you said it's not in an ivory tower. You really have to get boots on the ground oh, yeah. and go look and learn and ask. That's I feel really like the only way to figure it out. Yeah, and I feel like some of the some of the technologies that had the most promise, but then failed to deliver. Were the technologies where somebody just designed a platform? You know, they designed something, and they were like, "I know this will solve a problem somewhere, right? I don't know where, but I'm just going to go ahead and and do this thing." And while that those type of products can be very exciting, sometimes they get a lot of buzz. Um, they don't always find their problem. And so rather than go looking for a problem or rather than go looking for a problem after you've built the technology, go ahead and find the problem first, right? And so I think that's that's always the way to build a product. Yeah, yeah, really good point. Such basic stuff, but it's so important, <laughs> right? For sure. So it, it's very interesting that you brought up how essential workers were, you know, in the shipping and logistics lines, right? And you know, as consumers, we saw, you know, the crazy, you know, push for toilet paper, right? Oh, yeah. The toilet paper battles. <laughs> the toilet paper wars, right? And, you know, you mentioned people having to go on to, you know, online grocery delivery, and then the whole Amazon effect of getting things overnight, right? And so when push came to shove, these actually like had to be fixed, right? right. It had to be done, Right. What has been the status quo of shipping and logistics? So, yeah, I obviously shipping is and logistics is such a huge category that it's hard to define each part of it. But I'll go from 
my experience, which has been that that last mile, final mile type uh, delivery. And this is it's very hard to accomplish. It's one of the uh, spaces that hasn't been uh, broken into by as many competitors. And that's because it's unpredictable and it has been unreliable. And there's a lot to manage. So let's say you're a retailer and you have a product that you want to offer same day. You have to figure out, you know, how to get your inventory where it needs to go. You have to figure out how you're going to get it there, possibly like get a fleet, uh, spin up a bunch of vehicles of varying sizes. And of course, just because it's same day, that doesn't mean that it's just in a sedan or, you know, a small vehicle. This could be stuff that needs to go in a box truck. A uh, good example is we run a program for Lowe's Home Improvement. And um their stuff is a wide range of sizes. I mean, you could you could go buy a screw or you could go buy a bunch of drywall and uh, sheetrock and, you know, wood and stuff. And so it's still expected that you you ran into an oopsie while you're doing your home improvement project. But now you need that stuff today and you don't have time to go get it because you're too busy trying to do everything else. And so, you know, with that that kind of diversity, you end up as a retailer having to pick multiple different partners. There's like no one partner that's going to be able to kind of do everything given the size constraints and maybe it needs to be there in an hour, you know, just all these different factors. And so what we saw was retailers struggling to get everything together and figure out how to book this these loads on just multiple couriers that were out there. And so it became really, really clear that there's this swivel chair effect. And when you have that, you're trying to manage all your deliveries in like three or four different screens. You're trying to consolidate your billing. You're trying to figure out like where everything is. Your customers are calling, asking you if we call it Wismo here, like where is my order, right? And you don't know wh- where it was booked because you just have a couple of people just booking all these, you know, deliveries everywhere. And uh, it became clear that, that there needed to be a better system, right? And to be able to consolidate all this and then trying to collect all that data and do all those integrations manually or however your warehouse systems are configured. And it's just like, uh, it's a one-to-many problem. It's, it's your systems and now you have to connect to, you know, hundreds of couriers. And so uh, we decided to do that for you. So we're that middle layer of connection and taking care of all of the the data passing back and forth. And you don't have to worry, you can just hook up um, to our systems from your warehouse systems or your order systems, and then automatically have your packages routed and dispatched on the right size vehicles. You don't have to worry about, is this fit in a truck or does it fit in a box truck or whatever? We're taking all that information and doing it for you. And so those are the problems that we saw. And it was very difficult to manage all of that just chaos of different packages going different places. And then when something doesn't go right, then what do you do? You know, you got you got to manage the customer expectation of, hey, it didn't get here. And you got the driver took a picture of the floor and you have no idea where that package is now. You know, we we help take care of all of that. And so um, those were the those were the big pain points. And it's like retailers want to be able to distribute product. They really don't want to have to worry about what happens, you know, after it's just supposed to be getting to where it's going. Unfortunately, you know, the world happens and that doesn't always do what it's supposed to do. And so like managing all of that too upon multiple different couriers is just a nightmare. And then having to do all that consolidation and billing and like, hey, that thing was later, it didn't get there. So we're not paying for it type stuff. You know, there's there's just a lot to it. So um, lots of problems. Lots of problems, a lot to it. You know, I've been seeing this across many technology verticals that, you know, you've had technology that could help you, but it's been fragmented, right? Like the amount of, uh, you know, APIs and plugins, like plugin purgatory for e-commerce, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, various other things. And I've seen this, this push, uh, or maybe it's a pull towards having things all on one 
platform or one rail or one, you know, technology system, because what you're talking about, this whole swivel chair approach and, you know, all this fragmentation has been taking a lot of time and money and manpower Mm -hmm. to get various technologies and things to talk to each other. Right. Yeah. And even with some of the best integration platforms, you know, it's funny, you would think a delivery is a delivery, like you're moving something. How hard can it be? There's dozens of different configurations on what each of these couriers thinks a delivery looks like. Like maybe this one has a source and destination address, whereas this one has multiple stops. And then this one, you know, they they don't they only want dimensional weight. They don't want weight. You know, there's like all this stuff that you have to take into consideration. So, yeah, when you're doing it yourself, the fragmentation becomes very clear and it really does need and one of our core components is our data model, right? It needs a unified data model that sort of captures everything there is to be captured about, you know, especially last mile delivery. And um, and as we moved up into, uh, you know, LTL and other modes as well, parcel, um, there was a lot of the same stuff. But again, it was a slightly different way to say how big a box is, you know, and it's it's pretty crazy. So it's there's definitely a lot of fragmentation and um you couldn't believe what just the different combinations of things. I can't even guess how many different uh, systems that we're interacting with. You have to interact slightly differently. Yeah, I bet. And, you know, the consumer, I mean, I'm just listening to you on this. And I, was, I wasn't aware of all that, right? Um, but I do know that the world doesn't work as it's supposed to. We may have an <laughs> ideal scene in our head, but it doesn't always pan out that way, right? Oh, no. Yeah, no, there's a there's a lot to making the lot to making the sausages, I would say, for sure. A lot to making the sausages. I mean, I just know of a client that was, you know, receiving their, you know, shipment, um, you know, in from China. But, you know, uh, things happen, <laughs> right, in yep. the delivery of it. And they're so frustrated. But, you know, most consumers don't know this. Yeah, honestly, when you look at the variability and the amount of things that can happen, it's it's a surprise half the stuff works the way that it does now. I mean, people take for granted something like the Internet. A lot of our um, initial algorithms were designed to be robust and resilient like the Internet is. But like just the fact that your video is getting to me and mine's getting to you right now is actually a, a, a half a miracle, you know, and it is based on science, it's based on good engineering and all that kind of stuff. But wow, so much can go wrong. And it's definitely the same with packages, especially when you're talking about distances like China. That's just asking yes. for something to go wrong, right? That's <laughs> yes, not even to mention what happens here in America, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's so interesting. You know, it's like half a miracle. The other thing is, is that you mentioned is the Amazon effect, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this humongous gap from what's the actuality to the consumer's expectation from the Amazon effect. Right. And, you know, Amazon, I guess, has figured this out pretty well. They've yeah, they've done a good job. I mean, you can't say it's not called the Amazon effect for for no reason, right? Like they figured out the packaging, they figured out what it takes to run the, you know, vehicles and everything else and how many people and all of that. And I think the the biggest benefit and what we figured out is doing that as a single entity is not as resilient as relying on multiple entities, right? Mm-hmm. So I go back to the the analogy of the internet. The internet is not supposed to be a place where all traffic flows through the exact same route every time, right? We're supposed to be able to reroute and figure things out in transit if something goes wrong. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, again, for Amazon, Microsoft, et cetera, lots of apps are hosted on the same platform. So when AWS goes down, you see like half the internet goes out, right? That's not the way it was supposed to be. So our approach to designing uh, a platform was actually to 
figure we, we figured out that the important part wasn't running a fleet or trying to be the best fleet. It was actually just connecting to all the various fleets out there and doing it in a way that's intelligent so that if something goes wrong on the way, if there is a problem in dispatch or somebody's systems aren't working, let's say AWS does go down. Well, we still have couriers on every other platform and every other provider. So we don't have to worry about that. Like maybe half of the providers don't work anymore and we can't, and, and people trying to use Amazon shipping aren't working or whatever. But in our systems, we're still up and running. We can still dispatch to other platforms and that doesn't affect us. And so as part of our core DNA, it has been uh, reliability based on distribu distributed systems and distributed couriers, right? And so we partner up with an awful lot of couriers that don't even know the current numbers, so I'm not going to say it. It's hundreds, right? You know, Whatever it is, it, it equates to many millions of drivers on the road and things like that. And we do that because we have essentially built infinite capacity, right? Like our network has so many different companies that we can connect to and so many different drivers that can pick up the packages that we have as much capacity as there are, you know, drivers on the road working for these companies. And it's a lot. And so um, we don't have to worry about any one, two or three. We're not, we don't have to worry if, if, you know, FedEx or UPS has a strike or those kind of things because we'll just connect it somewhere else. And, and that's kind of our primary mission. And so our entire software platform is built in, in that way to try to make that better. So you know, Amazon, Amazon has created the effect. What we like to, what we like to try to do here is perfected based on the distributed system effect, right? Like we're not just one company that is, that is uh, contracting to a couple other companies or internally. We actually provide services to go ahead and, and give those packages out to multiple companies as well as an internal fleet. If customer brings one, we work with advanced auto parts and they have a very large internal fleet. They have to, um, so your your vehicle breaks down and you go to your local mechanic and he's like, uh oh, I don't have your part. So, you know, could you wait until Wednesday and then you can come back and whatever? Well, maybe you can't wait till Wednesday. You're probably gonna go somewhere else and see if they got the part, right? But what we enable through what um Advance has enabled through our software is to be able to pick that part up and say, instead of, hey, come back on Wednesday, he can say, I'll have it here in 30 minutes, we'll get it in an hour and you can leave, right? And at that point you're gonna stay. And so like our our solution provides that kind of power. And um so it's pretty cool. And that's uh, badass, to... actually, yeah. David. <laughs> it's not just pretty cool. That's badass. It's another take on diversity. I mean, just if you look at diversity and how people are talking about diversity in the sense of people and, you know, races and cultures and ethnic creeds and so forth. I mean, you take a look at that general premise. D diversity here is a distributed system effect, mm -hmm. right? Super yeah. important. Exactly. I, you know, when, when we're doing our internal work with, um, with AI models now and, and large language models as well, kind of taking the same uh, road too. you know, we do utilize open AI technology and things, but we're also uh, looking at open source models and the ones that might be able to serve the purposes for us. And uh, especially where we can use what they call small language models, the smaller ones that we can host internally. And um, so it's, it's, just trying to be resilient. And uh, I think that that gets you really far. So uh, yeah, definitely kudos to Amazon for creating the effect. I think that we're just refining it at this point and giving that power also to retailers that for obvious reasons may not want to go put everything through Amazon, right? Like they're competitors. Right. And that's one of the reasons why we're actually hosted on Azure. It's just to, we don't want to be, you know, giving money to companies that are possibly competing with our customers. We want everybody to have a fair shot at being able to ship anything anywhere. And, and that's what we're doing, trying to democratize shipping. I love that. That's a mic drop moment. Yeah. <laughs> being able to democratize shipping because I look at that statement and I go, oh my gosh, it's not democratized. Uh, yeah. If you want something tomorrow, most people are going to Amazon. It'd be cool if they could go to any local retailer, even small business and do the same thing, you know, and, and that's what we're enabling here. 
Well, let's talk about that because it's not it, it's not a democratic shipping aspect right now, right? So you have I, I I don't know if you mentioned Home Depot or Lowe's. I can't remember which one, right? But there's which one was it? It was Lowe's. Lowe's. Okay, good. So like all the various like industries <laughs> that this can affect, right? Um, you know, I mean, like home improvement, right? Like what are some of the industries that you guys are really helping out? Sure. Yeah. Auto parts is big, uh, and tires. So we also, um, have American tire distributors, uh, that we work with. And so that's the same, it's a similar thing, you know, you can't really control when a nail gets in your tire and it's, there's a lot of tires out there. It's just a, it's a big job. So ATD is really great because they have like all these tires, but your local shop may not have them. And so we also work with them to do the same type of delivery, like where it's a, I believe it's called their express program where, you know, you're a local shop and um, you're driving in and you're, you got a nail in your tire and you just got to get to your next thing you got to do, for, you know, you're, you got to do your next uh, interview and you just need to get it done the next couple hours. And um, so we're enabling that, empowering that. We um, the went over the Lowe's use case. We do pet supplies. It's just just lots of stuff, lots of different things, but it's anything, anything we fit anywhere you could think of where you just kind of need it now, or you, you whoops, forgot something, or if you don't have it, it's going to take many, many days are probably our, our best use cases. Um, we also work with, uh, PepsiCo. <laughs> okay. To I gotta say, stuff. I love the, the category. <laughs> it's like, we're in the whoops, you forgot something phase. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. No, it's pretty awesome. And it's very American, isn't it? It is very, it's very American. And the fact that we can build something like this to make our whoops forgot something. Well, we expect it, right? Like there's gotta be somebody. And actually talking about Bill, our CEO, the the reason he started the company where this idea came from was it's funnily enough, it's Lowe's. So he went to a Lowe's store and uh, his refrigerator had died on him and he has this extensive hot sauce collection. He tells the story better than I can. He went to Lowe's and they had a, an advertisement for free shipping. So he figured free shipping. Cool. I'll go and I'll find the fridge I want and then I'll have them bring it to the house and I don't need to go get a truck or anything, pick it up. And uh, he gets there, finds the refrigerator he wants and they tell him that they'll get it there. I think it was like within one or two weeks. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> like I have stuff that's all going to be bad, you know? And, um, and so he went on a mission to uh, make sure that that didn't happen again. And so uh, interestingly, you know, we ended up signing a deal with Lowe's and, uh, it was, it was the, the number one, uh, probably the first initial reason why this company started in the first place. So that those are the kinds of scenarios. What a great story. Yeah. A visionary CEO who had a problem with this extensive hot sauce collection yep. and then figured out that something needed to be done about it. And wow, opened the door to an opportunity. Yep. Yep. And here we are. That's, that's pretty badass. There you are. Yes. So people are super interested in AI, right? Like, like the tipping point has like tipped. I mean, AI has been around for a while, right? Mm -hmm. It has for a we've long time. We've been using it in our, I know, we've been using it in our agency for years, but now yeah. it's sort of tipped the scale. How long has it been around? Oh, well, the, I think the malt, uh, the Perceptron and, and some of the original stuff was in the 40s. So okay. that's how yeah, they were thinking about it, right? But they didn't have the power to do anything about it. Like they were, right. they were exploring how they, they thought the human brain worked and the synapses and things and how all that, that operated, but um, they just didn't have machines that could really do it. And they didn't know how to train it. Right. 
um, there's this thing in neural networks called backpropagation. It's a, it's a calculus thing. And uh, basically what you're trying to do is find, you know, go all the way back to calculus, trying to find the slope of the error curve so that you can make adjustments to the model to slowly figure out, you know, the right answer, right? And so um, they didn't, there was no backpropagation. Nobody had realized the use of calculus back then, but they had what they called uh, like a forward only network where they could manually sort of adjust the weights on the network and start to get answers. But obviously that's not useful unless you can sort of automatically tune it to solve problems. But um, they were thinking about universal machines way back then, meaning like this thing can can emulate any any possible function, you know, from a sine wave to whatever. And it turns out that we can represent our data as numbers and functions and uh, functions in space. And so um, it goes way back, but then, you know, there, there's been like two winters, like two AI winters, I believe, uh, in the past. And it's when sort of like we hit a limit on something. And sometimes the limit is the data, right? So we hit a limit on data until the internet came by and, you know, provided, you know, hundreds of thousands of images to train image recognizers on and things like that. And so now um, it's it's got a resurgence. But in the meantime, while there, while there was an AI winter, we've had machine learning. Classically, there's been this blurry line between what is machine learning and what is AI. Artificial intelligence, I don't consider AI until it's general. It can generally solve any problem on its own without needing to be trained specifically on any one thing, right? And we're definitely approaching that with these new large language models. I wouldn't say we're at the you know, AI as I imagined it, where robots are walking around talking to us or anything, not killing us. We don't do that. That's, that's, you know, <laughs> that's, why, that's why we make sure we, we train them well first. But, you know, it, there has been machine learning that's been going on, which is, uh, you know, stuff like regressions and figuring out possible values for what is that thing going to cost next year? Or what is the trend on this or that? And then coming up with good conclusions on things. You know, we've been doing that in classifiers for quite a while now. So, I think we're getting closer to the um, AGI space, but uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning as a whole has been continuing kind of in the background of most of your, you know, to Google searches and most of the more advanced tools you have used, you know, over the past 20 years. Yeah, that's so interesting to, to hear and to talk about. And, you know, a lot of our listeners are definite techies, so they're going to geek out on everything you just said, right? Yeah. But, you know, also like the tipping point of AI just becoming more mainstream, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I call it the fears that people are going to lose their job and so forth. But, you know, what you're talking about is the ability to create more jobs. Yeah. You no. know, democratizing tech and having the ability to do this and streamline and make things, you know, simpler, the ability for companies to get their products faster, the ability mm -hmm. to, you know, speed that up, to put that money back in marketing, to create new jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Like, have you seen this already? So just in my personal use, I can tell you that I have never experienced anything quite like learning with a large language model as a companion. It's like having a tutor without paying for it and without having to organize the time and whatever. You can go into the nth level of something and ask it. Now, does it get stuff wrong? Yes. You know, is, are there problems? Yes. But it is very, very helpful. And so I see that there's a future where anybody can kind of learn anything that they really put their mind to all it takes is time. I see a future where you can be kind of a micropreneur. Like when I was a kid, I always wanted to do, I always wanted to write my own video game. Like this grand, I'd have these grand ideas about these huge games, right? And I'd start them. The problem was I didn't have all the skills required, right? Like I couldn't draw, I couldn't model, I could, you know, I could do the code, you know, to a point, but I can't write 3 million lines of code myself. That's not realistic from a time scale. 
the generation even that we have right now of large language models kind of enables you to do all of that, as well as, you know, diffusion algorithms and, and creating images. And now there is 3D models and music and all that kind of stuff. There's an ability to be more of an individual creator at a massive number of things you couldn't do before. There's, you know, yeah, there's downsides to that. Is there going to be some stuff that maybe is no longer uh, low-level type design stuff that's not needed anymore? Yes, but the even though these models are, quote, creative, they're trained on our data, right? So they are just creating variations on what is there. They're using randomness a lot of times to create what we would call new. But the basis of all that is still human knowledge, and it's still human ingenuity and human creativity, right? And so I think there's never going to be a time when I'm going to just, you know, maybe I'm satisfied with something that uh, a machine might produce, but I know that if I really want to do it right and I really want it to stand out, I'm going to go with a human being on it because of the fact that it's just going to, there's going to be something about it that you can tell it's a human and not a machine. If you look at AI generated uh, photography, you know, and AI generated images and stuff now, you can tell that it was sort of all trained on the same sort of biased data set that's on the internet, you know, whether it be um, Instagram or whatever it's pulling from, you can see that coming up in it, right? You can see that being produced by it. And it's really hard to get it to do original things. It gets there sort of, but it's only like 80% of the way there. It's true. And you have to have really smart, ingenious, imaginative people with wisdom using prompts. That's right. right. And giving it right. great prompts and editing and reiterations and reiterations to get what you're talking about. That's right. And even though it can generate, I've seen um, some really cool tech where you're kind of like putting in cubes or squares and it's sort of filling those in via the theme that you're, you're still directing it, right? There's still somebody there that's figuring out how things should be laid out because it's not good at that by itself. That's why, right? And so it's not good at exactly knowing what you're thinking and how you want it all placed out. And so the way I see this, this next level of things is humans directing machines to help do some of the stuff. You know, I know an awful lot of software engineers. I love software engineers. Some of my best friends are engineers. And um, the engineers, they don't like pounding out thousands of lines of code. That's really not their favorite thing to do. They like to think about a problem, figure out how to chunk it out into pieces, and then make it go. Like, I don't think the code part, even though it's prestigious and it is something that takes a while to learn, I don't think the code part is often their favorite part. It's optimizing that code or coming up with the structure of the code or, you know, in architect world, there are people that end up jumping out of code and going straight to software architecture, like where they're just doing high level stuff because it is more creative, right? And so I think that the way, when I look at the future, I see machines doing a lot of the sort of grunt work, the pounding on the keyboard type stuff for us, while we're the creative minds behind whatever's got to come to light, right? And so I don't think that part's going to change. I think it would take a heck of a lot more advanced technology than what we're playing with now, probably by more than 10x to actually start doing any of that. You know, and at that point, you know, these things have probably free will and, you know, thoughts and dreams of their own. And that's a completely different world than this one. So uh, it's definitely that's for a me, ways away. <laughs> yeah, for me, this that's is a ways away. For me, yes. LLMs and, and the current generative uh, AI models are tools for us to try to do what we do anyways, but a little faster. And I think once the, I think the big fear is like, oh, well, it does some of what I do. And, you know, my answer is at that point, just get, get as good as you can at what you're doing to the point where you can, you can, as you said, direct these tools to do what you need to do. You're the one that's going to know if you're the lawyer 
licking over a legal document. You're the one that's going to know when the thing hallucinated something that isn't possible, right? It's going to be up to you to make sure that that document is good. And every once in a while, it's going to come out perfect. But every once in a while, there's going to be a grievous error in it that could be big trouble, right? And so this, this is where that human knowledge, that human interaction still needs to be. Yes. You know, I was thinking of all the different... Um... You know, remember when social media came about, we didn't have like social media, at, you know, job descriptions or jobs or positions, you know, mm-hmm. now it's going to be director of AI, architect of AI, quality control of AI. I mean, you can just sure. see those jobs like, yeah. you know, coming about. Right. Yeah. 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 I love the perspective on AI and, you know, the ability to have people really use the skill set that they were set for. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. Really yeah, will enhance see. that. For sure. Yeah. You see, I mean, like, this is like saying that that uh, electronic artists, right, like shouldn't be around because the the synthesizers and software and and mixing tools that they use and everything else didn't exist, you know, 100 years ago. Right. They couldn't have done the music. They could not have created the music that they're creating now without those tools. It would have just been impossible for them. Don't know where they would be. Right. There's some huge artists doing that. And so this is just like this is the next level of that. It's it's enabling more people to do this. And then you know, tackling the big question is, well, what if AI takes all the jobs? If AI takes all the jobs, then there's not going to be any money to buy stuff, which means you don't need AI to make the stuff, which means it's a loop, right? <laughs> like, like there is no, what if AI, t- if AI takes the jobs, then we're all going to have to figure out what to do, like everybody. And that's a government's problem at that point. So sit back and don't worry about that part. You're not going to be like stranded out of it. If it gets that good, we're going to have to figure something else out because obviously that's just, that's just not going to work. It's just never going to happen. Exactly. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about OneRail because at this point people are like, okay, this sounds amazing. Whoops. <laughs> I forgot something. You know, give us the elevator pitch on OneRail. Yeah. So OneRail is a distributed platform that allows you to pretty much ship anything. So we do um, last mile modes. We do LTL. We do um, freight shipments, um, parcel. So we provide multi-mode intelligence to make sure your stuff gets where it needs to go. And this is at, you know, Fortune 500 levels of shipping. We have some pretty large customers and we love them and they provide us with uh, lots of uh, package data and stuff that we're able to process. And so given all of that, uh, we have intelligent algorithms that have over time figured out how best to sort of move things around. And um, and so that's what we do. And so we're also starting to pilot, I believe, some micro warehousing and um, some other services. And yeah, just trying to, we help you solve your logistics problems. Like whatever they are, we're definitely a group of thinkers and technologists. We have a lot of products and and services and things that can help you immediately. And then we're also in it with you to try to figure out if there's something special that's going on on your side you need to talk to us about, we're here to consult and figure it out with you. And so it's definitely, we're, we're a problem solving company that, that moves lots of, lots and lots of packages and we can figure anything out when it comes to, when it comes to logistics, that's for sure. I love that. You really are helping companies be resilient. Yeah. You really are. And I know you're on the Fortune 500 level, but you know, how does this technology eventually, when you have more and more companies on this particular level, right, improving their technology, improving their processes, right, getting on these platforms where everything's all in one and they don't have the swivel chair effect and implementing this technology, how eventually does that help SMBs? Oh, it's already there. So we've released a Shopify plugin that allows anybody on Shopify to go ahead and utilize our uh, delivery services. I don't know exactly how it works. I know it's easy to plug in and get set up on, um, but you can check it out on Shopify. And that 
I think is our first step into trying to enable that for, yeah, because you you don't have the warehouse systems and things at that size. You're just kind of like making it work, but you're definitely going to have, there's definitely stuff getting sold that probably needs to get there same day, right? Like maybe it's, maybe it's uh, specialty foods or crafts and, you know, things like that it just needs to get there and we can help you do that. And so that's uh, for right now, the probably the fastest way is Shopify, but if you got, you know, an SMB, you could be the right size uh, to hook up if you have the, um, we, we've done everything from um, email parsing and scraping to like, we, we sit in the middle of your order system. And then when an order goes out, we read the to from and all the package details, as long as the information's there, the minimum that we need. And we can go ahead and book a delivery for you as well via really simple email integration. Yeah, lots of ways to get hooked up. If you do end up having a managed order management system of some kind, um, definitely direct integration. And we do offer we do offer the ability to just type the stuff in. So if you're doing just a few packages a day, you could directly log into our web app and you know type in the delivery that you need, put in the items, and and hit go. And then we just figure the rest out. That's kind of the beauty of it. Is don't worry about it after that. Somebody's going to come pick it up. That's awesome. I I didn't know that you guys were doing all that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And you know, as this technology gets more and more prevalent and more and more using it, you know, the costs and so forth come down for the small businesses, and eventually in the near future can really take advantage of this type of technology. I mean, you guys oh, yeah, are for sure. Yeah. yeah, there's there's always going to be, you know, a minimum floor to what, what it's worth for somebody to drive their vehicle around, even if it's a small thing and, and go pick it up and things like that. And of course, we want to respect the drivers and, and realize there is actual labor that goes on behind um, moving stuff too. But there is, I think it's affordable for most things. I mean, unless you're selling $2 items and then the delivery is going to be 7 or $8 or whatever, then maybe that doesn't make sense. But you know what? Maybe it does. It really depends on what it is, who needs it, and how fast. So it's a, a game changer, I think. If, you, if you're in an industry that you, you know, I'm only, I can just talk about what I know about now, but it's, it's kind of like everybody else out there, if they're hearing this, hopefully somebody's like, oh yeah, you know what? I could probably ship that and it would work better. And so that's, that's sort of like some of the best use cases that we find are the on the fly. Oh, I didn't even realize you did that type stuff. So yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Okay, David, what do you do outside of OneRail? What are your crazy passions? I've been in computing for a long time. Right now, I'm sort of in a growth phase with AI. I've been going through. So I, I kind of went in reverse. I know a lot of people that do artificial intelligence, they start off in math. Maybe they go get their master's or PhD in mathematics. You know, a couple, an Oxford uh, gentleman that I work with, his his path was um, physics and then mathematics and then artificial intelligence. And and so I'm approaching it from the other side. So right now I've been doing an awful lot of sort of the reverse side. I have the technology down. I know a whole ton of programming languages, probably two dozen at this point and markup languages. And so what I what I needed was the mathematical foundation to all that. And so I've been spending the past year and a half just really digging into the math and then, um, you know, going for MIT certifications and things like that to make sure that I really know my stuff. So a lot of my spare time right now is spent doing that, but I'm also a dad. So I spend an awful lot of time with my kiddo and uh, we do fun stuff like go to Epcot and go see Millennium Falcon and, you know, all of the kind of stuff that you can do since I live in Orlando. It's always warm and there's lots of water parks. And so, uh, pro- Right now, it's a bit of learning and, and a lot of time with my kid and a um, little bit of that's travel, awesome. you know, for business. But that, that consumes most of my time. I met her not too long ago. She was like at work with you at some point. Yeah. Like, yeah, is she is she super interested in technology at her age? She loves Roblox. Like, I think most kids her age do. She just turned seven. She loves Roblox. She is interested in how it works, right? So it's kind of how I got started. But right now, she's got, she'd rather play the game than make it or hack it. But eventually, maybe. 
maybe she'll get there. But um, yeah, she she. What I noticed though is that the learning that I did to help myself uh, with mathematics, I'm dealing with like calculus and linear algebra, but even just refreshing that stuff sort of like helped me talk her through some problems she was having with like simple addition, subtraction with, uh, you know, multiple digits and, and things like that. And so we're able to bond at least a little bit over the learning, learning the math a little bit. And, uh, I always say her, her most dreaded phrase for me right now is probably let's go to the whiteboard. Right. Like, so, (laughs) so, um, yeah, but she, she's, she's surprisingly good with math. Like I, some of the stuff she figured out, I was like, yeah, that's exactly it, you know? And, and so I was, um, I was very pleased with that. So she, I think she's gonna, she's probably gonna want to be a nerd. I just, I just see <laughs> that's it coming. super cool. I love that. All right, David, how do people get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, David Dashler is my name, D-A-E-S-C-H-L-E-R. And then if you have any inquiries about OneRail, so it's my name again, which is super long, unfortunately. So it's david.dashler at onerail.io. I'm happy to connect anybody on LinkedIn or email, even if it's outside of business. So I get an awful lot of uh, advertisements and stuff on LinkedIn. But honestly, like, feel free to email me about anything you got going on with, uh, with uh, machine learning, AI, technology, stuff like that. I try to help the best I can. I've done teaching in the past. I really enjoyed it. And so I still really like sharing what I've learned. And as well as if you're in these fields and, you know, you just want to have a chat, I'm sure I'm going to learn a ton of stuff from you too. So please feel free to reach out to my email and we can get further connected uh, if, if we both think it's a good idea. That's awesome. And I can attest to that. You and I met via LinkedIn and you're definitely very gracious with your data. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So food for thought, leave our audience with like a tidbit, you know, something to think about, about the future. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that comes up is there is a lot of big change hitting right now. And I think everybody has imposter syndrome. Uh, I don't think I've met anybody that, you know, doesn't think that they're the bottom of their competition or whatever it is. Uh, a friend of mine's going through some stuff right now, you know, didn't really think he was as good as he was at things. Don't believe everything you see on the internet. There's a lot of experts out there that aren't really experts. Take your time, really get deep and learn your craft. Don't worry about what you're showing. Don't worry about showing off. Don't worry too much about telling people you're there. What really shows in your career is what you do. Your accomplishments are going to speak for themselves. Like, you know, I, I go through what I've done and I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I did that. It was cool. And now when people talk to me, like you did that really. And it's starting to now hit me that, wow. Yeah, that stuff was really cool. Maybe that was, maybe that was important stuff, you know? And so just keep working at your craft. You will get, you'll get very good at it. And it's going to, sometimes it's going to be hard. You know, it's, there's going to be times when things happen that are totally out of your control or, you know, uh, politics hit or whatever, whatever it is that happens in, in, offices and workplaces and stuff, but just do your best, keep learning. And uh, you really do make it. It really ends up getting to the point where you're like, wow, this makes sense for me now. I worked so hard, you know, so just keep at it, I think is the best thing and take time for yourself when you need it. I think that especially after, after COVID, we're all seeing that the world can change in an instant. So make sure you're taking that time outside of work, you know, and if you're uh, somebody that really loves learning, keep learning and keep going. That's awesome, David. It's true. Resilience tends to be (laughs) the main ingredient for you too, isn't it? (laughs) For sure. Thank you so much. Thank you.
That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics with resilience and democratizing, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.